Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. I'm Jim Donovan, pleased to be joined and ready to go down memory lane with Browns offensive lineman Robert Jackson. People have told me that they never remember a player that had as much fun being a member of the Cleveland Browns and truly enjoyed every day of it, the playing, the whole Cleveland aspect, as you did. What do you think about that? I'm thrilled to hear that. Uh, no, I did have fun and, and met a lot of great guys, uh, players within the organization, within the city. So it was always fun and uh, played hard for everybody. Was it always a dream of yours to play professional football? I, not really. I grew up around sports, always loved sports. Uh, uh, went to college and, and actually didn't get drafted in 17 rounds. So if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. But uh, I was going to make the most of the opportunity, that was for sure. When you meet somebody and when you go through a player's career and they're undrafted and they make it and then they make a living at it because of that, their journey is always very, very different. They appreciate so much more than maybe the guy that was drafted in a high round. Did that affect you? Yeah, you don't take anything for granted. Uh, every day is a challenge, and, and, and uh, you're going to work hard because you had to to get, get the opportunity to get on the field and make it. And uh, No, I, uh, I, I never, never took a day off or, or uh, a playoff. You're kind of the, the guy that really, uh, you know, made it. You, you have to earn your supper, so to speak, to play, and then they have all these other guys coming in each year. Was it always a battle every year then to maintain where you were? I, when you went to camp every year, for me personally, it, it was like, can I still play? And uh, then once you get through the first uh, day or two, you know, you can still play and you, you gain the confidence. But you never take, take, take anything for granted. And uh, you're always eyeballing the new guys. And uh, some years they drafted a lot of linemen. You knew they were looking to replace somebody. And uh, so it, it, was, it was always on your mind. What was it like uh, being a Cleveland Brown when you were playing on the team? It was different. We, we all, most of the guys worked in the off season. Yeah, we right. might have only had five or six or seven that stayed here in the off season. Um, so you played, most, a lot of the old guys came to camp to get in shape. Uh, it was, uh, it, it, it was a different, different mentality, but it was, uh, game day was the same. It was, uh, we're going out there as a group and we're going to prove ourselves and we're going to win, but uh, it was fun. So when you just said that, that, you know, we would work in the off season. I mean, people today would go, wait a minute, with the salaries they earn today, they don't have to do that. But you guys had to do that, huh? To give you an idea, training camp. Uh, Forrest Gregg's first year was 75, my rookie year. And training camp, we would have, rookies had to report three weeks for the first preseason game. And we went three weeks of two-a-days hitting for every practice. Veterans came in two weeks before. And training camp, every player, you could be the MVP of the Super Bowl, we got $200. If they cut you, they owed you $200 for that week. I don't care who you were. So, yes, we did have to work, but your, your comment earlier about in the neighborhood, you got to know your neighbors. You got to know everybody. There weren't the autograph seekers. wasn't the uh, craziness about getting everybody's autographs. And you could go places, be, be friends with people, and just be comfortable, be yourself. So it, it was different then. Yeah. What were some of the jobs you did, or what did you do? When I first started out, I sold to the steel mills. I called the blast furnaces and bop shops, and uh, uh, that was that was primarily what I did in the offseason. I did that up until my through eight years. I uh, represented companies doing that. Wow. And was it 
Was that hard work? I mean, was it? I mean, very different. From it was football. scary. I mean, yeah. when you go where they're pouring that steel and you're, you're taking samples, or you're in a, in a blast furnace and it's dark and, and uh, barbaric. It, it, it was scary, but it was uh, a lot of good people in that industry. They work hard, just like we did in the, in the uh, football side of it. So you a lot of common interest in there. Okay, t this is kind of a memory type show. Um, so tell me your best memories when you were with the Browns, and I'm sure there are a lot of them. Well, I'd say number one memory was first game we played San Francisco, a preseason game, and uh, I'm about fourth team on the depth chart, and uh, there wasn't anybody on the field goal team, so I ran on the field, lined up, we kicked the field goal, and I said, they can cut me, I'll play to play in the NFL. So that, that felt pretty good. Um, the, the funnest time was when uh, uh, the cardiac kids here, and, and the last game we had to beat Cincinnati, and uh, uh, we... we they had dialed it in for that game, we thought, but they came back to beat us, put it, knocked us on the playoffs last game, but we beat them. It was a hard-fought game, and, and then coming back to Cleveland, the uh, uh, fans that were waiting there was really a, a memorable thing I'll never forget. When you're a part of that cardiac kid team, um, and, and that has, you know, when people talk about that, they immediately smile about the Cleveland Browns and those those people that remember that team and and people go through that year and they can tick off those amazing games Green Bay other games um, what is what was it like as you went through that particular season which turned out to be one of those golden seasons yeah there was so much love for each other we really uh, uh, connected and really really liked each other and liked being on on the field and off the field uh, but those games that we would win there was a calmness from Brian. Uh, Brian would get in the game the last drive, and he'd say, listen, guys, I've stunk. You've played terrible. But we're going to go down, we're going to score, we're going to win the game, and we're going to have fun tonight. And we believed in it, and he put this calming effect and, and delivered. And it was, uh, uh, that was that was a family, really. Players and their wives and girlfriends, we did everything together. So you're telling me there's 78,000 people in that place, maybe 80,000 in those days, okay, in that place, and it's right down to the last drive, and he could come into the huddle, Brian Seip could come into the huddle that coolly and calmly and say that, deliver that message to totally. you? Totally, and he may even say, guys, give me one more second this play, and we're going to hit the big one here, and he, he'd deliver. We believed in it, and, uh, you know, as linemen, our job was, Brian <clears throat> was not to get touch, and we had... If they brought five pass rushers, our five linemen were all one-on-one -on -one blocking them. And so we gave Brian every option for every receiver. And uh, if Brian got hit, it wasn't the guy who got beat's fault. It was all of our fault. So we as a team, it was important for us to keep him from, from getting touched. And, yeah. Uh, so there is really, when you have a special quarterback like that, um, and there are those special quarterbacks today in the NFL, if you're on the offensive line, there's a tremendous responsibility, I'm guessing. Totally. That, that, you, you could get beat on a 10 running plays, but you get him hit once. You go into that meeting on Monday the next week, you had a terrible game. So uh, there was a lot of pride and a lot of uh, 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 everybody had their own uh, pride just to get the job done. So you're telling me, too, that uh, the families and everything, it was really, it was that uh, close together. It was that close-knit of football team. Yes. After games, we'd all, for the most part, go out and do things together. And we got together as a group recently in the past, well, it was about two years ago, and Brian, uh, a lot of the guys came in, and Brian had said, we're bringing the whole offense in. So there were 22 of us, I think, and Coach Rotigliano, and we had a big dinner, and 
Brian had every player go around the room and tell what they're doing now, what their greatest memory was. And to the man, it was about the love and the uh, compassion we had for each other that year that, that we, and I think that's important. That goes a long yeah. way in building a team to win. You got to care about each other and, and, uh, yeah. and we did. It really does. Um, when we talked to him and he talked about the Cardiac Kid season, he said, hey, listen, don't chip the year before because that's when it really, the chemistry really started to come together. So people remember 80 right. as the Cardiac Kids. He said, but I could feel it even the year before, and then walking into the 80 season, I felt pretty confident that we were going to be pretty, pretty special. Yeah, there's no question the year before it established it, and it established a nucleus. Our players really didn't change much. When you, uh, when you looked at teams back then, I mean, our line was pretty much the same. You might plug in a player on offense and defense, but as a whole, we had another team to, another year to, to mature and grow to the, into the system that, that uh, Sam had brought in. So we were very comfortable and, uh, and had, from a mental standpoint, we were, we were on top of it and, and we were ready to take it to the next level. What was good about that offensive line? Uh, great athletes. Uh, Including yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, I played quarterback in college. Deacon was a tight end. We'll get to that. Yeah. De Leon ran the fastest 10 yards on any player on the team. And uh, Henry Shepard was our, our tough guy, and Cody was a great player. But everybody could were good athletes, very athletic, and uh, no egos. No egos. We, uh, uh, we, we didn't care who got credit. Uh, we were all in it together. So that was a beautiful thing. It wasn't somebody trying to be the limelight. Did you play a lot of sports? I grew up playing, uh, yeah, football, basketball, and baseball. Uh, we, we grew up following sports. I had a twin brother. Yeah, now you're a twin. Yes. And now, Kenny, Doug Deacon tells me your twin brother, you'd never know that you're twins. No, he's 6'8", <laughs> almost bald, uh, very conservative. Uh, but Kenny was a tight end, basketball and baseball player. We grew up as bat boys for a double-A club for the Minnesota Twins. Really? Our only vacation for spring training with the uh, Twins, uh, Nettles and Levin, and all those guys came through. And then we were water boys for a high school team from time we were little. So we, we lived sports. And uh, so uh, we played year-round. And So this is in North Carolina? Yes. And so you just played sports year-round? Yeah. And you were a quarterback? Correct, and uh, and so senior year, we, we we were being recruited. I almost went to Clemson. Kenny chose Duke, and then ultimately we both ended up going to Duke. Is that the twin thing that sometimes twins, eh, twins well, do the same thing? Yeah, they, they don't really want to be apart. They say they want to be apart, but they really don't want to be apart. I went there because freshmen couldn't play varsity ball sure. back then, yeah. and I thought my sophomore year I was going to start as a quarterback, and that, that uh, changed in spring ball, but... Uh, uh, it was, uh, it, it was a great experience to do. Got a good, good degree, and it means a lot. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone Dueler tires boast up to an 80,000-mile limited warranty, so they're in it for the long haul. Because nothing says endurance like season after season of clutch performance. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to bridgestonetire.com warranty for details. These days, when a guy makes a position change and he's a quarterback, a lot of times they become a wide receiver. Now, you went from becoming a quarterback to an offensive lineman, and that, that happened at Duke? Yeah, uh, spring ball, you had 30 days to get uh, 20 practices in, so we had three weeks or two and a half weeks 
and then, then spring break, and then we came back and finished up spring ball. So go to the depth chart, I thought it was going to be a quarterback. They had me at tight end. So I worked spring ball at tight end, and then I didn't go on spring break. I stayed there, worked on routes, came back, and depth chart had me at center. I said, oh, they want me out of here. I thought I was getting run off. And then really? uh, ended up started spring game at center and then uh, uh, played, didn't play till the last game. Uh, a guy got hurt in front of me, played against Carolina my last game. Uh, sophomore year, and then I moved to tackle, played that my final two years. Did you think you would get drafted? Yes. Did anyone tell you, you'll get drafted? Yeah. They, uh, they understand why you'll, back then they had to draft a lot earlier, and I thought I'd get drafted in the second day. There were 17 rounds, and then, then when I went over for 17, the next day, uh, 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 Dick Evans uh, from the Cleveland Browns showed up at Duke, and there was another gentleman, uh, J.T. Turner, offensive lineman. So Dick called us down to the uh, football office and he's going back and forth. So you got to sign this contract. We need you for $18,000 and a $500 bonus. And I said, let me think about it. He said, you don't sign this day. We need bodies. I'm going to NC State. So I signed and JT had Kansas City. was So he ended up signing with Kansas City and JT ended up playing 11 years too. But uh, it was uh, disappointing not to, but it was a good opportunity turned out in the end to be here. What was it like when you showed up to the Cleveland Browns? And did you know about the history of the Browns, the Paul Brown situation and, and all the, you know, the Jim Brown situation and all Otto Graham? I mean, this is a pretty historic place. My wife now, who uh, was two years behind me at Duke, who grew up in Rocky River, her father was with Wilson Sporting Goods, covered the NFL, Major League Baseball and things for 40 plus years. And uh, so, I only weighed about 215, 220 pounds when I signed. So uh, he said, I talked to Forrest Gregg, and he said, won't you come up early? And so I came up early, stayed two weeks with them, and uh, uh, started trying to put weight on, eating a lot and stuff. Uh, and then uh, Rod Human, it was Forrest Gregg's first year as head coach, and he brought Rod Human again from Southern Cal as a line coach. So Rod had Tom Daly on and Deacon and I doing demo films and things. So, um, so. I, and my wife being from here and her father, I would learned a lot about the history of the Browns and really was impressed. And the key was, though, you, you want to be in a situation that you, you're going to get an opportunity. And we had, had Forrest here, who had been the line coach, became the head coach, but there were some older players and felt that, that he might be revamping the line. And uh, as it turned out, uh, Forrest told me later on in the end, uh, Chuck, they had traded for a gentleman from Dallas, Jim Arneson, and if, he said if Arneson had beat Hutchinson out at guard, Hutchinson was going to be back up. He was cutting me, but in the end, uh, Hutchinson beat him out. I stayed and then, then got in middle rookie. Oh. Force Greg was a tough guy, wasn't he? I mean, he's a Lombardi guy. You know, he... I mean, uh, he really was a Lombardi guy. I mean, total. Lombardi loved him. Total. Yeah. Two-a-days every day. Uh, meetings at night, you uh, did up-downs and you did uh, gassers and chin-ups and it was funny, John Dorsey played for Forrest at Green Bay and his defensive uh, coordinator was uh, Mo Juleski and his linebacker coach was Dale Lindsay who played here. Sure. And we spent a day at camp this year and all we did was tell Forrest stories. Forrest, when he went to Green Bay after, he did the same thing, same practice routines, up-downs, gas. Forrest was tough. Forrest felt that you're going to out-physical them. You, you, he, don't, he didn't care if they knew you were running right here, you're going to beat them one-on-one. -on -one. And, and when Sam came, we learned angles and different blocking schemes and different things to make it, make it go a little easier. But Forrest, 
Yeah, he was all about out fizzling. Are you happy that he was part of your football life? Yeah, you know, I, I love it. Forrest gave me a chance and uh, believed in me and stood by me, and, and, I, and I learned a lot from Forrest. And then when Sam came, we, we learned different ways. So they were two different but very good coaches. Yeah, and sometimes that's a succession, isn't it, in a team? Sometimes you have a hard guy, you have a tough guy, and then they might go for a little bit of a different kind of guy. And you could see that, the right. evolution. But even just taking the look at Forrest, I mean, the jaw, the profile of Forrest Gregg, wow. It wasn't was fake. It, could it be intimidating? Oh, it, was, it could be very intimidating. And if you got on his wrong side, uh, it, it wasn't going to be pleasant for you. So Sam blows in. And, I mean, funny guy, a lot of great one-liners, a lot of great sayings. Really, what was that like? That, I mean, that's night and day. We started having more fun on, in, during games, uh, and, and, and the chemistry started evolving. Then. Now, did he, he brought the throw in the football all over the place? Eh? He did, and then uh, he had, had some, you know, Rod Humanick was still his, his line coach. Uh, Howard Mudd came in towards the end. But, uh, yeah, so he opened up the, the passing attack and, and started uh, utilizing the weapons that we had, and... Uh, uh, he brought, it, it was fun. It was fun to go down and, and uh, open it up a little as players. Did you feed off of the character of Sam? Sam became such a character in town. I, I have to tell you this. Um, when I was a, a young sportscaster and you could pick up 3W, 3W, it was 3WE at the time, not WTAM, and you could pick up 3WE on the radio at night because of its signal. It was a clear channel right. station, so it would boom in. And I would pick up 3WE on a Monday night, and they would replay Sam's Monday press conference. And it was, it was like a comedy show. Oh, it was yeah, hysterical. It was, it was like, I don't think you get a, as good a show down at Pickwick and Frolic sometimes. Uh, he had all his one-liners, <laughs> and uh, we heard him a lot of times. But, no, he, 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 he was trying to liven things up. And he was, uh, you know, he really cared about the players. Uh, Towards the end, the inner circle he started. But today, as a, as a former player of his, you can call him and say, Sam, I need you to help me with this. or need any. He'll be there. He's, he's very committed to those players and uh, has been a great uh, uh, friend to all of us. Um, tell me this. When you got into the Browns' offensive line um, and, and, you know, and you're in there and you're starting and you're playing now, did you ever look back and say, man, I have come a long way from playing quarterback you know, in high school and going to Duke as a quarterback, and now here I am blocking for these guys, protecting that pretty special package back there, Brian Sipe. Well, it, it, it was a little um, daunting when I first came you, to line up against these names that you had seen all the time, and because I really hadn't played offensive line that very, very much. It was rather new, and then when I moved to guard, I never played there. So... Uh, but when, once you started playing these guys and, and uh, having success, you, you started getting confidence in yourself because you have to believe in yourself or, or, or you're, uh, I mean, you still, you still never can take anything for granted, otherwise they're going to beat you. But, but you have to believe in yourself and trust that you're going to get it done. And uh, no, it was, uh, it was, it got, it gets a point you, you, you're confident. You played against the Steelers in the heyday, I would think, of that Steeler-Brown rivalry. After all, they were a dynasty at right. one point with an, I mean, with an incredible lineup, especially what you would go up against defensively. Tell me about the taste of that rivalry back then. Uh, awfully tough to win over there, but you would beat them over here. 
Yeah, we, I don't think we ever beat them over there while I played. <laughs> no, but, I, I didn't know if I, but should, they, go, if no, I should be that specific No, no, it. no. We lost every way possible over there. But, they, you know, they had that steel curtain. They had L.C. Greenwood, Dwight White, Turnpike Ernie Holmes, or, and Banasak, and Joe Green. And they had Ham, Lambert, Russell, Cold, and back. The DBs were all the same, and we had our same offense for, forever. So we knew each other. We, we, but there was no love loss. We played them physical. And in all my years playing them, um, never said hi, goodbye. Really? Shook hands. And it was, as a unit, we never did. It was, it was like the people in the stands. We disliked them, they disliked us, and we liked it that way. There was no ever, ever. It was a, a, a few years ago, we went to an event, and Joe Green, my wife goes, look, Joe's being inducted in the NFL Alumni Hall of Fame party dinner Friday night right. we're going to. I said, oh, what did I say to Joe? I played him 20 times and never said hi, goodbye. So I went up, Joe's, I introduced myself, and dead silence, 15 seconds. <laughs> and he introduced his wife, I introduced Lenny, he says, you know, that other guard, he was crazy. I said, Henry? I said, wait a minute, now he was over at Turnpike Ernie, he, Ernie, he goes, and Deacon, I said, no, wait a minute, I'm Dwight White, the mouthiest guy I ever played the game. And so we went right down the line talking about those. So it was pretty neat because uh, first time I'd ever, ever, no, he talked some, but I had never talked back to him, so. Wow. Were those games incredible? They were. When and, you would play them. And, uh, and talking to Joe, there was a lot of respect by both teams, and it were always physical games, always, uh, always, uh, uh, you, you, you're going to come with your A game, or you, you might as well not be on the field, and, and we played hard, and they played hard, and uh, it was, it was always great rivalry. Yeah, it really was, um, and the Browns tried everything. To win over there, one of the one of the greatest. You say that uh, they tried everything. Pre, pre game. I'm sorry. The night before Saturday night yeah. dinner, Sam. Everybody goes in the meeting room, and Sam turns the lights off. And they've got we we didn't have the projectors and stuff like doing now the video. We had two screens, and it started. Uh, I think it was Donna Summers, Bad Bad Cleveland Browns. They did. And they had two videos from all season through training camp, just shots coming up, the players, your hard work, all year long getting ready for this game. And when it ended, they had a picture of Plain Dealer, say Browns beat Steelers in Pittsburgh and had a score. If we had played them then, we would have won 100 to nothing. Really? So we, they turned the light off, no words. Yeah, we walk out and they gave everybody a video of, the, of that, and we leave. So next morning, Sam doesn't have to say a word. And this is, I think, Sam's worst pregame speech. <laughs> We go there the next morning. We're ready to go, go kill. We're ready to go play. Yeah. Sam pulls the team together right before we go on the field, and he said, guys, I want you to remember one thing. Whatever happens today, there are a lot more important things in life. I love you all. Just sucked the wind now. <laughs> we were down like 14 nothing before we even already got, got on the field. So, But, uh, yeah, he tried that video. It would have worked, but that speech, Sam, sorry. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most, which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000-mile limited warranty, Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. How did the playing days end? Yeah, 1985. Uh, well, after the 84 season, uh, we Marty took over in the He's middle the of... coach, right? Yeah, he took over in the middle of 84. Came to head coach in 1985. 
And Marty said, I'm going to youth movement offensive line. He said, uh, Deacon, 14 years, daily on 13, Delamalo 12, y'all are gone. I was going to my 11th. He said, Robert, you're going to be a backup for a year, then, then you're gone. He said, I, and Deke told him, he said, wait a minute, I had a great year. Nobody outplayed me. He said, but Doug, as long as the older veterans are here, we've, we, we don't want them, the young guys looking on his shoulder. So Marty cut those three, moved me to backup. And uh, so then uh, after that season, uh, Rich Kotai was coach of the Jets, who had been a tight end coach here, very good friend, right. called me, wanted to come play for the Jets. But I, I saw players chasing another year or two and then – give up what they had, the relationships they had established. So I said, you know what, Rich, I, I'm honored. I appreciate it. But I said, I'm going to start a new career and uh, uh, and move on and uh, not look back. So, so Robert, let's go back because that's interesting. I, I, I didn't know that all those guys had yes. know, un unceremoniously kind of been told by Marty that we're going to go to a youth movement. So is that when Paul Farron, Mike Babb, and those kind of guys came Fike and Lilja, yeah. The all is that also line. when the USFL kind of disbanded, or you mm -hmm. could get players? Yeah, Fike came from the USFL. Uh, Lilja hadn't played. I don't know where he had played. And uh, uh, Farron was younger. Babb, Babb came in, and yeah, Babb came in in '84, I think '83 or '4, and then he he replaced Tom. Yeah. So, uh, and then Cody had been there. Cody was a. The, the, the crossover from our era and right. to that one. So, uh, yes. So that had to be hard, huh? When, the, when those guys that had been there for so many years, now they're not there. Yeah, it wasn't just difficult was for me. Was it difficult for you? It was difficult for me. And then to sit there and know that, hey, I can still be playing, but, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's philosophy of his. And, and I know it was tough for Doug and tough for, for all those guys. What did you feel? Did you see what Marty was doing? Like, could you see the method through the, I guess, madness? Well, uh, no. <laughs> but he was head coach, and if that was his decision. And uh, that year we ended up, uh, it was Bernie's rookie year, and then we had Mack and Biner both rush for 1,000 yards each. So we went right. to a very conservative running game. And then Bernie, uh, you know, Bernie came in and... In, uh, in, uh, I mean, Bernie came in... I mean, Bernie came in big. I mean, Bernie uttered the words, I want to be a Cleveland Brown. Yeah. And they moved heaven and earth. I mean, well, he was a supplemental draft. Yes. They got him in June, right? Uh, Neat with, story, Bernie, Bernie, for a start. We played in Houston. And uh, very limited offense in. And, and Marty had, in, in the old days, here's how it worked at halftime. Okay. Quarterback, quarterback coach head coach, all the coaches go in and they talk about what do you see, what do you like, what do we want to do with the second half. Other players, we get some water and everything. Then our, our line coach comes on that mean guys, we're going to change, we're going to do this, we're going to block this, we're going to, here's what we're going to do. Well, there was a little dissension amongst that staff, guys. We had an offense coordinator running game, passing game, and whatever. So Bernie's first start, we play in uh, Houston. And so quarterback's not involved in that meeting. We had no audibles, basically. So if we had we had some rookie receivers, I can't remember the name, but if we had a certain play called, it doesn't matter if you're running in teeth of defense, you're running that post pattern or out pattern, no adjustment, okay? So Bernie pulled the whole offense together in this room because coaches weren't there or anything. He says, listen, second half, we go out there. He says, and we call this play. Instead of you, if you go and that DB's here, instead of running the out, I want you to run the post. We can't do that. We'll be, Bernie said, I'll take full responsibility. 
You change that. If that's that look, run the post. We go down, second half, boom, they're there. The guy runs a post, Bernie hits him 63 yards touchdown. We win the game on that play. Coaches took full credit for it, but I had a new admiration for Bernie's intelligence and all and the courage to, to make it happen. It shouldn't have like, but it, it was a dysfunctional year, but uh, it was a great play and that was Bernie's first start, I think, in wow. Houston. So, yeah. great win. You retire. And were you ready for it after you told Rich Kotite, I'm not going to play? Yeah, I, I was ready to move on to a new career, and, and I want to get into something that uh, at the end of four or five years I could have my own. And uh, I went into the insurance business and worked for two great agencies and then started my own. Doug Deacon came in as a partner. Kozar was a partner for a while. And now we have Jackson Deacon Associates. Uh, we've got 30 employees, and uh, we've been doing it, jeez, uh, uh, right at 30 years now. So it's, it's been very good transitioning it over to the next generation and uh, Chris Woman and my children and uh, got a great staff, great people and just, I love going to work. I'm just selling now. I'm not doing a day to day and I'm having a great time. What uh, do you, does being a former Cleveland Brown or maybe you're always a Cleveland Brown, but being a Cleveland Brown and then going into a business in Cleveland and starting a business in Cleveland and being part of that, does that help? Does it, it open doors? It, Does it have phone calls it picked put me, up? It put me on the map. Uh, I, you know, because when I, when I played here, I stayed here every off-season work, but you'd play in the charity tournaments. You'd be in the community, getting to know people. You weren't hiding yeah. from people. And these guys today, granted, they make enough money so maybe they don't have to work. But the beauty of, of being in the community, all these years, the people will support you every way possible and, and, and just have... Uh, I've had clients since the day I retired and have been with me for, for 30 plus years and, and I've been very blessed. The, the people in Cleveland support you like you can't imagine. So it's Well, that great. says a lot about you too, though. Well, I'm just very fortunate. Tell me this, um, did you, what made you stay in Cleveland to do that? Because you were from North Carolina, but but your wife. Yeah, my wife, wife from here. I might be on to something No, there. no there are two what things. Did, what did no, there are two things. My <laughs> wife, number one. Number two, the fact is I felt like I had met a lot of people here and and it was a great place to establish a business, like you said, because yeah. of the contacts and, and, and uh, the opportunities that being a former Brown offered. So it all worked, all worked hand in hand. You know, I love when a, when a guy plays in a city, and it doesn't have to be football. But in your case, it is. And, and really, there are a lot of Browns that have done it back in your area that have stayed here. Why do you think they all, why did you all stay here? It's just the people here are so warm and genuine. And if you work hard and are just being honest, be yourself, they're going to they're gonna embrace you and, and we embrace them. And there's no phoniness. They're sincere friends and uh, they do anything for us and, and we do anything for them. So it's just a great work environment. It's not, uh, it's the blue collar, the people work hard and, and we play hard, but we really care. I want to go to this. This is the, this is my power alley with you. And that would be horses. <laughs> <laughs> you you were in the winner's circle oh. at the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. We, so take us through the whole way, how you became part of that is, what is that called? An organization? Yeah, uh, West Point Thoroughbreds is West is, Point Thoroughbreds, and they were one of the first ones that sell uh, uh, partial shares of horses. And my dear friend Tommy Wilson used to be in the radio stations Absolutely. here. Tommy got me in with him, so we started buying into some horses. And uh, one of them happened to be we had a very small share was uh, Always Dreaming. So we walked the track at the Derby and with our wives, and uh, Always Dreaming won the Derby. 
and we were in the winner's circle and it was quite a thrill. Then the next year, we had my boy Jack came in fifth, so we got to walk over with him and came fifth. And then this past year, we had the third favorite up to about five weeks before, Gunmetal Gray, and he broke down training at Santa Anita. But it would have been three years in a row walking the track at the Derby with, with a horse. So I love, I love the horses and, and love the experience. Now, for a lot of people, the Kentucky Derby is a bucket list type thing. I got to go to the Kentucky Derby. Now, you're walking across on the track with the horse yeah. as part of the group yeah. to go over there. Yeah. What was that like at Churchill Downs? I mean, that is the temple of horse racing. I, I feel like I don't belong here, you know. The, the thing, Were you all dressed up? Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, you, you see the, the jockeys, you see the trainers, you see the, the guys who muck the stalls, those people that live with those horses every day you realize that's their day. You know, you look at the Browns when they do it, the equipment guys and, yeah, right. and, and the little guys. I, I learned from seeing that. I had so much admiration for those people, what they go through every day, and this is their thing. I said, you know, I'm imposing on what they should be enjoying. I felt like I was almost an imposter, but it's fun to see how it all works and fun to see the whole, uh, the whole ins and outs of that. It, it was fun. As you go through life right now, how how do Sundays when the Browns play, the now Browns play, how do you take those? Well, I'll say this. Since uh, John Dorsey's been back and, and Freddie and them, you know, the alumni, we're welcome again. And, and it is great to be part of the organization again because it was a while there, I, you know. So I get excited. I, I really watch the line very closely. I enjoy I've been going to the games, but I, I, I always focus on the offensive line. And uh, uh, it's fun to see what worked and what didn't work. And there's been some frustration, just like the players have experienced. You know, there's some games we, we should have won. But, uh, you know, this, this team, uh, we've got potential, and, and, and that's, we're heading the right direction. And if we can keep it going, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm enjoying it. You know, there's a lot of the guys on the team right now that they're so new and they're so new to Cleveland um, that they wonder and uh, what it would be like to be a big time winner in Cleveland as a member of the Cleveland Browns. Now you experienced it, you know, with the Browns having, you were on good teams and, and a great and a magical team back in 1980. And um, you know, what would you tell them if they came up and asked you about what, what was it, what would it be like if we are suddenly in a home playoff game here? Yeah. You know, what would it be like? You were in that. Well, I would tell them, number one, engage the fans, enjoy them, uh, enjoy the moment, and um, these fans will give back tenfold for everything you give to them. And uh, play hard every play, and these fans will be behind you. I mean, it's, it's uh, win and lose. We've had a share of losses. Yeah. But if you're playing 100%, giving your all, they're going to embrace you. And there's nobody like these fans in Cleveland. And they just want, they want a winner. So they want people to go and play hard, be competitive, and this team has, uh, has, has a lot of potential to make, finish this season strong, which we're all hoping for. Yeah, the town has really been tested. But yet their resiliency's been kind of yeah. proven, I think. Yeah, we, we've, we've had some tough losses this year, and, uh, but they keep coming. I mean, look at the last two years we had, one win in two years, and training camp this year with the thought that we're gonna have a great, it's standing room only. I mean, these fans, they want a winner, and a lot of them are so young, they never really experienced it before. So, but they're, they're waiting to, to live what they stories they hear about. So this city is just ready to erupt, and, and it's uh, like no other, I think. 
Robert, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it was a pleasure having you a part of the Cleveland Browns for so many years. That's going to wrap up another edition of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. Remember to tune in next week for another edition of the show as we go down memory lane with another great Cleveland Brown.